Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, October 15th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's how we're making you smarter today. The energy costs of working from home. Plus, how the NBA is pulling off a historic voting effort. First, though, the rapid rise of coronavirus in Europe, again, is today's one big thing. The EU is actually recording more coronavirus cases as a proportion of population than we're recording here in the U.S. Dave Lawler is Axios's world editor, and he's here now to update us on the latest in Europe. Good morning, Dave. Morning, Nyla. Can you just give us a quick rundown of what we're seeing, particularly within the EU? For months and months, we saw Europe able to keep cases much lower than they have been here in the United States. Obviously, they had that huge spike in the spring that was very scary, and then things kind of got under control. But starting in August, we've started to see this uptick that's really accelerated in a number of countries, including France, Spain, the UK, Netherlands, and Belgium are all sort of at the early end of this spike here. And now what we're seeing is governments figure out how to respond because all of a sudden we're talking about lockdowns again. So when we say that different countries are talking about lockdowns, what did we see yesterday? So France came out and said that they were going to put Paris and a number of other large cities under a curfew. Les métropoles, je dis bien, de Grenoble, Lille, Lyon, Aix-Marseille, Montpellier, Rouen, Saint-Étienne et Toulouse. Entre 21h et 6h du matin... That's 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. We've already seen a quarantine imposed in Madrid where people aren't able to travel in and out of there. And the U.K. is putting targeted restrictions in place. So we can squash this virus wherever it appears. We are today simplifying, standardizing and in some places toughening local rules in England. Why did cases go back up? Do we know? So governments have given different explanations, but a lot of it is that people got complacent, right? You had, especially younger people began to socialize again. You had large family gatherings again. And in many cases, those restrictions were gone. So you were allowed to do that, right? But we have seen that as people get together in larger groups, as people start to let their guards down a little bit, we've seen it in the United States and we're seeing it in Europe. These things can reverse relatively quickly. Do we have a hope that things will be better this time as we are better able to treat the virus when it comes to fatalities? Yeah, there are a few reasons to be more optimistic, one of which is that we saw this wave coming. Governments know what's ahead of them. They know what the challenge looks like. And in some cases, they know what they have to do. So that's part of it. Governments know what to do to a certain degree. But also, testing is much, much more widespread during this spike in Europe than it was during the initial spike in the spring. So just because we're seeing even more cases recorded on a day in France than we saw maybe back in April when things were really bad doesn't mean that there are necessarily more cases in the population. Hopefully what it means is we're catching them early. We're not just waiting until people get into really dire situations before we know they have the virus. There are reasons to believe that you won't see a direct correlation between this massive spike in cases to a massive spike in deaths. But obviously, you know, we do need to be worried about things that we were talking about back in the spring, hospital capacity, things like that, if these trends that we're seeing now continue. Dave Lawler writes the World Newsletter for Axios. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Nyla. We'll be back in 15 seconds with how much working from home is raising your energy bill. Welcome back to Axios Today. You might not know this, but before I moved to D.C., I lived in the Midwest. 
And if you've ever had to work from home during a polar vortex like I have, think back to your energy bills. Ben Geeman is an energy reporter for Axios, and we've both been working from home for the past few months. Ben's been looking into how that affects residential energy costs. Ben, can you tell us what you're expecting this winter? So the forecast right now is that this winter is going to be somewhat colder than last winter. And that is one of the reasons why the Energy Department is predicting higher winter heating costs this upcoming season. They basically said there are two reasons. One is a somewhat colder forecast. And the other is that people are going to be spending more to heat their homes because they're spending so much more time there. Most people, of course, don't keep their home heated to quite the same level when they are not there. Are people paying more for their energy bills, not just because they're using more, but because the price has gone up? The main thing is that people are consuming more simply because they're at home more because of the pandemic. There's some new research by an economist named Steve Sakala. And what he finds is that in the period from April to July, he sees nationwide an average 10% increase in residential electricity consumption. And that translates into an average monthly increase of about $11 per household. Now, that doesn't necessarily sound huge, but if you're already economically struggling, it can be a really big deal. And of course, I would say non-pandemic times, families that are on the margins oftentimes had to choose between paying, for example, an electrical bill and a grocery bill. From your reporting, I wonder how concerned people are about how much more dire that is now. It's definitely more dire because, again, you've got higher bills at a time when people are less equipped to deal with them. There are right now, I believe, 17 states that have some type of moratorium in place on power companies shutting off people's power during the pandemic. But on the other hand, there's 33 states that have moratoriums that have either expired or were never put in place to begin with. So, yeah, people are definitely hurting and in a lot of places don't have any type of safety net in terms of their power consumption and power system. What we're watching now is how much of our energy consumption changes because of the pandemic. We don't know if the environmental benefits of less commuting will outweigh the increase in energy because we're working from home. But these new patterns could result in lasting change to our overall carbon footprint, for good or bad. Ben Geeman is an energy reporter for Axios. Most people think about voting in places like churches or schools, but this year there's a new place to vote, not just by mail, but in sports arenas. That is because of the NBA. Kendall Baker is Axios' sports editor. Hey, Kendall, so are there arenas that are already open where people have already started voting? Yeah, a great example would be in Atlanta, State Farm Arena, home of the Hawks. 300 voting machines, and it's open on Monday, and the earlier reviews have been very positive. I think if you look at Georgia, where there's kind of these horror stories of hour-long waits, voting centers being shut down, you now have reports of people saying they got through their, the arena in 10 minutes. And it's a great solution, right? Because they are big places that are generally are open where people can safely social distance. Exactly. There's also the accessibility. If you think about most stadiums, they're centrally located. People just know where they are or have heard of them. Maybe that reaches a new type of voter, somebody who wouldn't have been engaged previously and that is more into sports, per se, than politics. So whether it leads to higher turnout remains to be seen. I think, though, we can say pretty certainly that it will appeal to and potentially attract voters who wouldn't have been attracted otherwise. I am excited to vote at Nats Stadium. That's where I'm going to be voting. Kendall Baker is Axios' sports editor. Thanks, Kendall. Thank you. 
We've got a little story for you before we end today's show about a dream coming true for a Japanese man named Jesse Katayama. The 26-year-old finally got to see Machu Picchu. The stop was supposed to be an end-of-the-round-the-world trip, but then the pandemic hit, and he's been stuck in Peru since March. So he made the best of it. He connected with the local community through his love of boxing, and they helped get his story to Peru's culture minister, who gave him special access to Machu Picchu this week. Without another tourist in sight, he got to experience the sprawling ruins of the ancient fortress 8,000 feet above sea level. This is truly amazing. Thank you. And thank you for listening. That's all we've got for today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com and you can reach out to me on Twitter. And have you checked out our Axios app? It's a great way to follow our reporting throughout the day. You can find it in the App Store or Google Play. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Stay safe and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm.